Love Talk Radio. Okay, Miss Bertha, we are on the air. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. So, um, hello, everyone. This is Leslie Gist. Um, you're listening to the Gist of Freedom, and this is an impromptu interview that Miss Bertha is giving me just at on a whim. She was uh, sharing some fascinating genealogy information with me, and I just could not believe what I was hearing. So I said, please come on my show and let everyone hear this fascinating and heart-wrenching story. So please start, Ms. Bertha. I'm going to try not to interrupt you. Uh, just talk about the seed for deed. After the, after the Civil War and after uh, freedom, enslaved people in the South, some of them started acquiring the plantation that they lived on. My family was enslaved on the Terranola Plantation in Alachua County. So immediately after slavery, a group of five family members uh, started purchasing the land. 1875 was the first mortgage that was uh, done on the land, a northern planter who had acquired the land after the, uh, in the plantation after the end of slavery. You're looking at 1857 was when the plantation was started in Alachua County. And by 1870, the land had transferred hands uh, to the northern planters of Massachusetts. After they took possession of the land, they started selling uh, pieces of the land to the former uh, enslaved people. Now, it started out as the 40-acre plot, but then to 500 acres by 1880. So during that time period, everything was fine. The planters, the former slaves were raising their crops, raising their families, and um, creating their lives after slavery on the this uh, former pl- on the plantation. But during after Reconstruction in the 1900s, early 1900s, all the way through to 1920, 1930, there came that time in which their land uh, uh, was in danger of being taken over. So during the hard times when they didn't have to buy the seed for the next year, they would go to the seed uh, stores, seed and feed stores, to purchase seed to plant their crops for the next coming season. Now, there were certain parties or certain people that wanted that land and had been trying for years and years to get that land. So they came up with how can we take the land away from the blacks? So it started with seed or deed. In order to get, if you needed a horse, 
to plow the fields or if you needed seed to plant. Uh, the quick option was, show me your deed. So being in desperate need to produce crops and make sure that the, the, the families and the livelihood still existed, they had, holding on to the land as hard as possible, they would, some of them would turn over their deeds as collateral. And by doing that, they would give them whatever they need with the promise that if your crops fail or you do not succeed in getting the money for those um, seeds and animals, that we would take your land. So it was a bad year. Crops, rain didn't come, or the bugs destroyed the crops they started losing parts of their land. So that went on. But what rescued the family on the Sarah Nola, I'm only speaking about my family and, uh, and, and the families of the Sarah Nola, they were such a close-knit family that when one started to fail, the next one would come along and pick up the the deed. So by doing that, that family member would transfer that deed into the name of another family member. So that existed in 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 that in my family for uh, uh, quite a number of years. So when it comes to seed for deed, you end up losing your land. You lose your home. And then you become a sharecropper because if you don't have any place else to go, you have to remain with the land. And we're not talking about one acre, two acre. You're talking about 40, 50, 60 acres of land in which in one year you can lose overnight. So you become a sharecropper. And by becoming a sharecropper, you have to work to pay off that debt with any crops coming in which you have to share with the owner of your own land at that particular time. Some instances you never got out of it. You never end up getting the land back or owning it because with sharecropping, you never get ahead because while you're sharecropping, you still need provisions. So where do you get your provisions from? You have to go to the stores or you have to go to uh, people who own the products or the merchandise, and you have to get it on the books. So by the end of the year, if you have not earned enough sharecropping to pay off those debts, then you are still indebted to work another year. And this goes on and on and on throughout certain generations. And mm -hmm. also you wonder why uh, some people never leave the area in which they were originally born and lived all their lives. Some of them are caught in that because... Mm -hmm. They were born in this generation. The next generation comes along and actually sometimes pick up the debt of their, 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 their parents and then the next generation. So you find generation after generation locked into sharecropping. And that's what was happening in the South, uh, I would say, after Reconstruction and when um, uh, land became such a valuable thing and they didn't want blacks owning as much land in uh, certain areas. Mm -hmm. um, 
Because well, the baby also. Mm-hmm. Talk about Mr. Charlie and and one of the reasons why they didn't want you to own land because part of the poll taxing um, for you to vote was sometimes connected to if you were a landowner. But right. Talk, Talk about Mr. Charlie, how you said if you would end up working on your land for Mr. Charlie. Oh, that was the phrase that was used. I know. My father always said Mr. Charlie. That's why it resonated because my father always said Mr. Charlie. He referred to a low-life white person that was a con as Mr. Charlie. Right, right. That That was someone who was always trying to get one over on you. And instead mm-hmm. of calling him any other names, you always refer to the white, uh, 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 whites in, uh, in the town as Mr. Right, as Mr. Charlie. Mm-hmm. And so when Mr. Uh, you, you will always be indebted to Mr. Charlie because Mr. Charlie owned your land. He owned everything. So that was a phrase that was used. Um, even into more modern um, <laughs> modern times, you know, it, right. it, it so transcended the, it transcended generation after generation, and we find ourselves sometimes right now using the same phrase, Mister Charlie. Mhm. So if you didn't produce enough crops, he would have your deed, and you yes, would he would have him, and you right, would you, would, you would still owe him, and therefore you would have to work. For him, him. On, the, on your own land, and yes. he owns the land now. And yes. and you also talked about um, the sharecroppers trying to escape these um, areas. Um, and, the, you know, and, and the paddy rollers, even though slavery had ended, they still right. had that, that, that occurred. Right, that occurred a lot right after slavery, mm-hmm. in which you had no place to go. Because in the South, when mm-hmm. it came there were people who did leave the plantations. And even mm-hmm. by leaving the plantations, there was, um, as, as we were talking, there was mm-hmm. the law enforcement that would arrest you for slaughtering. So if they caught you outside of the so-called plantations, even though freedom had come, and you had no place or, or residence, then you were arrested at that time. You were put you were put under arrest at that time, just mm-hmm. slaughtering. And then you had what was called uh, immediately immediately after slavery, what they would do. You can't live on my land, so what are you going to do? Well, you had no place to go, so you had to either roam the area, finding or trying to get from point A to point B. Are you stayed on the plantation? So by thing on the plantation contract was immediately uh, done between the uh, plantation owner and the former slaves that still resided on the land, obligating themselves to work and food and very, very little to pay. But it had to do with if you want to survive, then you're going to have to accept what I offer you, and that basically was zero. So we will sign this contract that you have to work for me so many days a week, produce a certain amount of product for the owner, not for yourself. I will give you three meals a day, clothing, Mm -hmm. but then you also have to remember 
when he says, I will give you that, he has an opportunity to go and buy food that on the books, buy clothes, put that on the books. And a lot of times people were thinking that uh, they were uh, getting these things free of charge. Mm-hmm. But they really weren't. They were being put on the books in which you had to pay for. And that within that contract, and I, I know this because I started finding some of these contracts in the research, mm-hmm. where even for a plug of tobacco, you were being charged for a plug of tobacco. You were even being charged for things in which they knew some of the the, the, the people would like uh, they call it spirit. That was a drink of liquor. And mm-hmm. they put that on the books. So everything was put on the books. And when it got to that point where you felt like you wanted to leave, okay, I've worked here enough. I've done everything that I could to have a place to stay. I would have a place to stay. And now I think I could just take my family and try to find another location. No, mm-hmm. you couldn't do that because you had a signed contract. And if you violated that contract, they could call in law enforcement, have you arrested and brought back to work out the remainder of your debt, which you didn't even know you had. Mm-mm-mm. And then you if he, that plug mm-hmm. of tobacco was free, that you were all that work you're doing out in the field, that, hey, this was something that he was, you know, paying me that I could have a plug of tobacco or whatnot. But no, it was going on the book. Now, yes, ma'am, what was your... I was going to mention the the film Slavery by Another Name um, uh, by Sam Pollard. He showed that there were the patty rollers. So if you, like you said, if you did want to escape that plantation and that convict leasing and whatever whatever else they had for us, that they had the patty rollers patrolling all of the bus terminals, train stations, and that people had to uh, escape and walk or get get to another town just to take the bus or the train out of the area because they really were patrolling the area trying to keep you hostage on those places. Right, every road every road was watched. Every road. Yeah. Even if you walked if you were going on foot, every road was was, was, was patrolled. And yes, the pattern rollers were, were after you. And there were just so many different things in which you know, and until you start digging into uh, documents and records, and 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 one thing, probate, probate, uh, 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 court rulings and whatnot. When you start digging into uh, doing genealogy, you start going into all of the different records that exist, state in the state, county, cities, whatever, and then you start looking at laws that were on the book. That was another thing that sort of caught my attention immediately after slavery in which you could be arrested for that was uh that was done by your 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 counties and municipalities or, or whatever in putting laws on the book that uh was against uh free you know you could be arrested for fornication and some of those laws are still on the books now in some states that uh, are still sitting there on the book you could be uh you could be arrested for the the least offense of you know of even thinking about 
if they found out that you was even thinking about taking a peach off of a tree while you're walking down the road and you see a fruit, you could be put in jail and sent to the chain gang. But that's mm-hmm. of a simple, of, of, and, and, and it's truly amazing when, when you start digging into uh, 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 laws and uh, injunctions and things that was put on the books after slavery uh, to uh, to really re-enslave you. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really amazing. It's and amazing. it's, it's amazing and miraculous that I'm here talking to you that you're still living in Florida, the same area that we're talking about, and you own the land that your family was once enslaved on, that worked as a slave. And now right. you, you still have the deed. How many generations has it been in your family? Uh it's been in the uh, ever since. I have the original deed is for 
into the history of this plantation. They were, as we call it in the South, they were dirt farmers. They lived their entire life working the land. In between certain times, they participated in their civic duty. They were on uh, petite juries, which you would almost consider now like grand jurors or whatnot. Mm-hmm. They participated in uh, 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 their um, civic duties or whatnot, and they were there front and center. But they were common, everyday people. Now, that's what besides, we thought about. Besides the cemetery, are there any um, original structures on the property? No, no. There are not any uh, more original structures. No time. Uh, took care of those. Mm-hmm. But, the, but the cemetery is the lasting thing that's there. Mm-hmm. And and when people come out, do you have um, tours? Do people come to visit and learn about your family? We have been we have been doing that. We have been speaking at different events. Um, my husband and I took a little group on a tour. Our uh, every uh, anniversary of our church. The church is there, but not in its original form. Our church is mm-hmm. 105 years old as far as organization. But over the years, you know, the church has been rebuilt or whatnot. So what is have, the name uh, of the church? The church now is Trinity Missionary Baptist, Gainesville, Florida. Mm-hmm. It was originally Many Hill Baptist Church. And then before that, it was the Sarah Nola Baptist Church. So it evolved over the mm-hmm. years, but the original church was the Sarah Nola Baptist Church, named after the plantation, and then it became Many Hill Baptist Church, and now we're Trinity Missionary Baptist Church. And every anniversary, we pay homage to our ancestral uh, people and leaders of that community. And then we have a ceremony at the marker after it was dedicated in 2011. And then we have our dedications at the cemetery because we, as a group and a family, we always as often as possible. And in doing that, we tell the story. We tell the story. And I, uh, as many times as often that we get invitations to speak around Gainesville, we still tell the story of that plantation. The enslaved, it's not the story about the plantation and the owners. It's about the people who was enslaved on the plantation. That was my main purpose of doing it, was not to tell the story about the plantation owners. I gave a little bit of history about the owners, but the story Mm -hmm. is about those members of the family who stayed on the plant, on that land mm-hmm. until they bought the land and how right. it passed one generation to the next, to the next, to the next, and we still tried to hold on to as much of it as possible because that is our root and that's our history. Now, do you have a family reunion? Oh, yes. On the we land? Have, we, we've, we've had one or two on the land. My Mm -hmm. great work right now, Mm -hmm. because even doing genealogy, I keep finding that next link in the family. 
my mm-hmm. genealogy research on the family, my own mm-hmm. family, has been going on for 10 years. And right. it has not ended yet because each time I start doing my studies, I keep finding something new that takes me to a different level in a different direction and a whole different branch, mm-hmm. which I didn't know exist. And that's mm-hmm. what I keep doing. So when I finally bring it all together, we will have that one grand family reunion that will cover all of the descendants of all five of the uh, branches of family that was the original family. Most mm. of them I know, and we're still coming together, but there are those that's outside that I would like to bring in that doesn't even realize that they are part of the family because time and, 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 and whatnot have uh, clouded the memory of a lot of them, and they don't even realize that they are your relatives or whatnot. But every day I find a new group, and I try to make sure that the word is out there. So when we do have the come-together day, hopefully, before I leave this world, I'm going to do that. But, see, it all deals with the cemetery, too, because when you're researching the cemetery, you're researching death certificates and burial information, and in those, it gives you family members that you didn't even know mm-hmm. that exist. Miss so Bertha, how guess. how yes, did ma'am. you get involved? How did you, you know, there's so much going on in our lives. We have such, you know, busy schedules and things of that nature and, you know, your family and work and all these things. How did you get involved with genealogy? Well, it started out as a little bit here, a little bit there, hobby here. You know, you work on it in your spare time. But do I, you remember? Do, do you re- remember the first time you got bit by the genealogy bug? <laughs> uh, yes, it was. It, it was. I would say it was over. I would say over over twenty years ago. But when mm-hmm. I really got deep and serious in it, it's been about uh, about twelve or fifteen. And then when I really got serious was when I uh, when I uh, met Miss Sherry Dupree and we were talking and she says what 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 are you going to do about this and I said what do you mean what I'm going to do about this she said do you know you have a treasure trove on your hands and I'm going nah <laughs> just doing what I love to do and she pushed and she she said you need to do something about this and she says do you have? I said, most of it's in my head. Most of it's in my head. She kept saying, you've got to get it out of your head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've got to, she said, you've got to get it out of your head because I read so much and I study so much and a lot of it is captured in my head until I get it out. And mm-hmm. so she said, you, and then she started telling me how to organize and put things together. And then when I started doing that about, uh, I would say, almost 10 years ago or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Then I really started uh, getting serious, and all the things that I had uh, uh, accumulated that I had on hand, documents, the deeds, and everything, then I started laying out, and then I began to see the picture exactly of, of, of how, it, uh, how it was and where I needed to go 
and it was almost like I always say, my grand my grandmother, born 1876, mm-hmm. left everything that I needed mm. to do what I did and what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And she never went beyond the third grade. Wow. Wow. Now never went in school beyond the third grade, but everything that she left was all that I needed to put in order to do my research. Mm-hmm. Now can can you tell us about one of your most um treasured articles that you found or you were looking for for a long time and you finally got or something that dropped on your lap from heaven and it made the world a difference. So if we were to come to visit you, what would be one of the first things you would show us with so much pride that you had in your possession as relates to genealogy? Those deeds. The original deeds. The original document, and and how did when, when, do you remember the first time you laid your eyes on it and understood what you were looking at, and appreciated what you had? Uh, I would say in the past uh, ten ten years, because they've always been there. They've always been in my possession. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. been in my possession in the boxes of papers that you never really sit down and go through and start understanding what they really what they're really all about, you see. Until mm-hmm. I got into genealogy, I never knew what the significance of those boxes of papers. I never and it was one thing in my family also and it was strange and we talk about it uh, my brothers and I and my nieces and my daughter and son. We talk about it sometimes. My grandmother never talked about slavery mm-hmm. to us. Never. Mm-hmm. And that was a strange thing that 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 now that we look back on it. Either she talked to us and we didn't listen, or we didn't hear it, and we never connected that our family, not too many generations, as I said. My great grandfather died two years before I was born. Mm-hmm. And I never really looked at him in the sense of being a slave until late in my adult life. I know, well, yeah, he was born to a slavery. That was just a saying, a word the way it was used. Yes, he was right. born in slavery. Everybody you talk to, yeah, my ancestor was born in slavery, so it became, but then you really begin to look at the picture. And the more you study, the more you learn about it, and the more you look at those documents and you look at all those records, and then you start going into records where he was, um, where he things in which they were involved in and whatnot. Then you begin to get the whole picture that takes you from 1850 to 1942. You see, mm. wherein I saw his life at that time by looking at all these documents. I began to see who Wash West was. And the more I looked at it, I said, hmm, now I know where I get these genes from. It also makes you think about what makes you tick, what makes you do this A, B, C, D. Follow your ancestry line and you will see exactly what it was. He was a minister. 
Mm-hmm. He was a minister, and he was a community leader. You see, when there was a problem, an issue, you went to the minister. And therefore, he was able to work with the, the, the whites in, in that neighborhood and to work <laughs> with the blacks. And Washington West was the mediator between. And how I knew that, because when I talked to people of uh, uh-huh. my elder Uncle Wash, he always took care of things. Uncle Wash did this and Uncle Wash. Then I began to, to really see uh, uh-huh. him in a different light and learn more about him. And then, as I say, when you move forward and you look at yourself and then you wonder, well, why is this, why is that? that I always say it's because the Wash was. I got it straight. <laughs> okay, and you and are you a minister as well? No, no, okay. I'm not a minister. I'm just uh-huh. a deacon's wife. <laughs> deacon, all right, you got you very close to it. All right. Well, that that I, is amazing. Uh, I, right, um, and I still uh-huh. I still serve in the same church that I grew up uh, in. I, I'm uh-huh. still in that church working. Uh-huh. Um, I'm the musician, I'm the church clerk, and the historian. So even Mm -hmm. though I live in Jacksonville, I still Mm -hmm. attend church in Gainesville every Sunday. How far away is that? It's about a 140-mile trip uh, 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 a day. But my roots Mm -hmm. are still there. Mm -hmm. And that's why I stay historically connected to to, to Gainesville and Alachua County because that's where I never left the church. That's the only place that I've ever been. Mm-hmm. And are any relatives still living on the land? Uh, not on the land, no, because there, as time passed, mm-hmm. as I migrated, my brother, my nieces, everybody, they migrate. <laughs> they migrate mm-hmm. with me. So mm-hmm. I, my whole family now is in Jacksonville. So nobody occupies, no family member occupies the land. The land is there. It's still in its original state, mm-hmm. untouched or whatnot. The acreage is still there. And mm-hmm. um, and uh, as I said, the church still sits on a piece of that land. And there mm-hmm. are two other, there are two other family members that occupies a piece of, of, of the ancestral land also. In both branches, so yeah, there's some that's still there, and oh. um, and and those families still go to the same church also. And then we have families who have left the area who also come and um, attend this uh, church also. So it's like a family connection that we just don't get rid of each other. We just we still there. We just sort of hang together, and. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the, you know, that's the, that's been my experience, and I've I've enjoyed every step along the way. And and for my family, I have a very supportive family. If you're asking about how do I find time to do this uh-huh. or whatnot, my family we work hand in hand, and uh, I have the most, um, I have the most reasonable husband. Mm-hmm. Assists me in whatever I'm doing or whatnot. Wow! And he finds time to 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 work with me and make sure that all of these things are taken care of. His name is John Lee, and mm-hmm. he's a um, he's a federal arbitrator. 
So when I need legal advice in what direction to go, I've got that hand on my shoulder pointing and tapping me, ah, you don't do it that way. This is the way you do it. Because sometimes I like to just rush into it. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing I know, I have to have that calming hand to say, no, this is the way you do it. You need to do this. You need to do that. So I have great family support in um, in, in what I do. That is um, wonderful. And how wonderful. I work it. Wow, a federal arbitrator. Is that is he, is he like a judge, an arbitrator? Uh, yes. Okay, okay. Um so last question. Do you think that you that you may put this on film or document it in a video or some some sort of way um to preserve it? Oh, I have uh, part of this I have Hello. I'm here. I can hear you. Okay. Part of this I have in, uh, in the oral history uh, department at the University of Florida. So they did uh, 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 an interview uh, mm-hmm. uh, with me of, on the Serenola Plantation. It's not, you know, as much as I've just been talking to you, but it's, yeah, mm-hmm. the, the history of the uh, marker and the community is archived at the University of Florida for history uh, department. And do so you have the pictures? Heard. Okay. Do you have do you have any pictures of the marker in the church and the land and your your uh, documents? Yes, I could uh, later on today. I could send you a picture of the marker and the text that's on the marker. Also, perfect. Okay, and um, and the. Uh, that was my plan for 2017 was to start getting this all organized. But then I got this call from Miss Leslie. <laughs> Thank you. And you are doing a phenomenal job. You and Sherry Dupree, Miss Sherry Dupree has been like an angel and everyone she connects me with, they're just like her. Very, very helpful. <laughs> and Northerners, we're not used to that type of um, spirit and interaction. And it's just unbelievable. Your Southern hospitality is amazing how you guys are helping me out so many hundreds of miles away. Thank uh, you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I'm and enjoying I'm, it. And I'm learning, uh, uh, as I say, it's a teachable moment every time I communicate with you and start reading your work or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And it motivates me to 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 uh, to be challenged more, and I like to be challenged. That you've really given me a, a challenge, so I like to <laughs> I like to keep going back back and forth wow. with you, so that you really you know everything's well, I, working that great. That is a compliment. After hearing your story and all your work, that is indeed a compliment, and um. I, I'm learning from you as well, and it's enjoyable. And like you said, you're keeping me on my toes and keeping me focused on what's important, um, why we have to do this, this great work. Like you said, the fields the fields are full and the, the workers are few, right? That's right. And, uh, and so this is a, a lot of a lot of work, but it, it doesn't feel like work, does it? Oh no! I always call it uh, 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 my my fun time or whatever because I find myself when I find something I get giddy and I start laughing. So if you hear me laughing sometimes, that's mm-hmm. because hey, I've connected another dot. You sure did. You, you the dot. It 
it it it it it it makes me feel good. So hey, pass it on. Don't yes. don't hoard it. Pass it on. Yes, and I am. I'm everything that you brought sent me. I'm going to pass it on, and I'm researching it as we speak. As soon as we hang up, I'm going to go right back to uh, what you gave me and, and dig deeper. And I just want to thank you. You're going to be back on the show um, later. We're going to talk about the pictures and all the images you're going to send. Um, we'll make time to make sure that happens, and uh, hopefully I can get down to Florida and do some Facebook Lives and share your story with as many people on social media as possible with the hope that some of my Facebook friends who are in the film industry will see it and jump on the story and take it to the next level. So that's the purpose of me being on social media so that all the experts, poets, playwrights, singers, dancers, all of these people that um, have these different talents can come learn about uh, stories like yours and tell the story in the best way they know how in any form or fashion, as long as it's truthful and it brings out the light. So I want to thank you again. We will be on the phone <laughs> again talking, and um, and I just want to say thank you. Okay, and thank you for having me. All right, we'll talk, we'll talk to you again soon. soon. All right, okay. bye-bye. Bye-bye.